Good morning. This is a really big pulpit. <laughs> like I could plan this space up here. Um, wow. Uh, I was laughing when I saw um, the bulletin that you have because I asked Cynthia, who's the secretary. You all know Cynthia Mann. Um, I asked her, uh, do you all include an outline? And she said, well, you can send me one. And she said, I'll just I'll put it on the back. So I said, okay. I don't know if you all used to this or not. So I, I'm typing this out, just one, two, three. I've been working on this for a while. But when I listed them all out, I went, gosh, that sounds so depressing. That's so, it's like, oh. So if you're looking at this like, oh, man, I miss Alex already. Um, <laughs> so I added at the end, I said, but Cynthia, I promise the truth will be bigger than the lies. And so... <laughs> laughing she put the truth real big at the bottom so that was in response to that it's not really part of the element that's that's okay it is it is amen um if you will turn in your bibles to psalm 37 and then also put a finger in uh, or a bookmark or your child's finger in psalm 73 because we'll get there eventually and just while you're turning there i want you to think about what are the what are the lies that satan wants us to believe Um, Jesus says when Satan lies, he speaks his native language because he is the father of lies. And and many of them will come in response to how we handle things that are difficult in our lives. Um, We can at least agree that we all have things that make us anxious, that get our minds spinning, might be relationships, um, your parenting, your children. Health is a great big one. Um, If you have it, you have everything. I work in the hospice industry, and uh, my role there is primarily grief counseling. And there's all kinds of anxiety. uh, anxiety. How am I going to live without this person? They were my everything. We were together 10, 20, 40, 50. We have a couple now. Not his, uh, His wife is dying. Usually it's the man first. His wife is dying. They have been married 77 years. 77. They got married as teenagers. They're both in their 90s. Um, 77 years together. What do you think it's going to be like? And they tell each other, well, whoever goes first, we won't be alone long. (laughs) Just very cute. Um, It might be a financial situation. Uh, Nothing like finances to really get your mind spinning. What if I lose my job? What if I need to get another one? It's hard to get another job. What if I lose the one that I have? It's even harder to get a job, period. Um, All these different things, they keep you up at night. But if you're a Christian, you trust God for these things, right? We trust God. I trust God. You trust God. And then inevitably, something happens to throw us off of our game. And maybe you happen to notice somebody over there just on the fringe of your life who's doing everything all wrong, and they appear to be just fine, sometimes even thriving. And uh, I, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, you all know, he says all you need to feel like you have a good job is to see somebody else doing the exact same thing as you and, uh, and getting paid less. And you say to yourself, you know what? I got a pretty good job. <laughs> I got a pretty good job. Um, Satan loves to use a similar tactic to throw us off our game, just to show us people in our life that are doing it all wrong, and they're getting along just fine, just fine, to distract us and lure us into an anxiety. 
into a whole host of lies that take us further and further away from God's truth and the provision that he has for us as his covenant children. I'm calling this sermon Three Lies and the Truth because we're going to be looking at three common lies, not pulled from the passage, but lies that we commonly believe. And the antidote for each of these lies is found in Psalm 37. So I want us to reflect on how the truth found in Psalm 37 feeds our faith as we wrestle with these lies. So Psalm 37, I'm going to read the first 22 verses. Just follow along. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows that their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts. Their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish, though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field. They will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land but those he curses will be destroyed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is so beautiful, and we pray that your spirit would communicate those truths that you would have us to carry close to heart, and not only today, but throughout the week, and that you would be glorified in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to tell a story to you. It is a secondhand story. It is a true story. There was a couple that had their car stolen from right out in front of their house. Broad daylight, noonish hour, uh, car is stolen, and they, you know, do you take the car? No, do you take the car? Well, it's noon. How could anyone? So they make the report to the police. Please come. They take all the information. They go away. A week goes by, and the car reappears in front of their house. Nobody sees it come. It's just there, and there's a note taped to the driver's side window. And, uh, and they open it up and it says, we are so sorry. There was an emergency and we had to take your car. And uh, we just apologize. We know it's been inconvenient. 
Um, it's back. You'll find everything just as you found it. And they were thinking probably what you are now, like, why? why? How does that make sense? And in the envelope were two tickets to the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. Beautiful, beautiful symphony in St. Louis. These were orchestra pit seats right down up front, like box seats down near the first four or five rows. And they just said, huh. And they called the police and they canceled the, uh, you know, stolen, you know, we, we got our car, don't, just don't ask us. We got it, it's canceled. <laughs> so uh, what happens? They go to the symphony and they have the best time. Most amazing, lasts like three and four hours. They get home and they are cleaned out. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. How dumb would you feel? You have this false sense of security. This is Satan's plan. He wants to take everything that you have from the Lord. That peace, that joy, that trust. He wants it all. He wants every bit of it. And to lure you into a false sense of security. Psalm 37 contains the antidote to these three lies that are uh, detailed on the back of your program. And I just want to read through them with you. Uh, You are depressed. And when I say depressed, I'm not talking about chemical depression. Lots and lots of people have chemical depression and they take antidepressants for that, uh, for treatment. This is not what I'm talking about. This is, what I'm talking about is the way Satan likes to convince you that you can't handle your life. That you need something else besides the Lord. That's what we're talking about, not the clinical depression. So just a little discrepancy there in case you're like, well, I take antidepressants. Are you saying, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Everybody take a deep breath. Loosen your button. Okay, you're depressed. You can't handle life. Lie. Satan will say you're deprived. You're missing out. Life is passing you by. It's a lie. And thirdly, he'll say you're deserted. You're going to be left with nothing. So let's just look at these in order. Uh, First lie, you're depressed and you can't handle life. Uh, I love the honesty of Scripture. Look at the first line, verse 1. It addresses the known temptation of how dangerous and distracting it is comparing your life to that of somebody who doesn't even know the Lord, not relying on Him. He's saying, don't fret because of them. Hear what that's saying? Your temptation is going to be here. Don't be anxious about anything to do with them. Nothing to do with them. Um, They're doing it all wrong and they're far ahead of me and it's easy to become despondent here. Where is this getting me? Does this even matter? Does this mean, hello, God, does this matter? And this is where Satan loves to whisper to us because people like this are in every place in our lives. I have them. I'm not the only one that has them. You have them too. And I look over there. I'm looking. I'm doing everything right, you know, as much as I can. And I look over there, and they're doing everything wrong, everything wrong. And they woke up just fine. And they're healthy, and they're thriving, and they're doing all the stuff that you know is wrong. And Satan loves to come and whisper in our ear, you cannot keep doing this anymore. You need something else. God is not coming through for you. You can't do this anymore. And on some level, we believe this because they're not struggling. And I I just... You know what I need? I just need something to take the edge off. It's something I can turn to instead of the Lord to help. Scripture calls this idolatry. It's anything that we turn to instead of God when we're looking for relief or provision or satisfaction or rest. Because I need this. I need this. And it's very important to see this. It's the first step 
towards believing one of the many lies that Satan will try to sell us. And we correctly identify our temptation just for anxiety and to be lulled away into a further lie that he's just going to keep selling us. And Scripture tells us the truth about the one who goes their own way. It's littered all over this psalm. Uh, It's short-lived. It's short-lived. Look at verse 2. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 9, those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. You'll look for them, but they'll not be found. And we could go on down through the psalm, verse 17, verse 20. These are God-given pictures of what happens to those who choose their own pleasure instead of God's way. Instead of God's way. And even further, what happens to them happens very quickly. So I want us to focus on what about for us? What about God's sons? What about God's daughters? What about us as his children? What does scripture teach us? Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Trust in him. You can handle your life. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. But Satan will lie to us and tell us that it shouldn't be this hard. It is not supposed to be this hard. I'm, I'm not the only one he says that to. It is not, this is so hard. Life, living the Christian life is so difficult. It shouldn't have to be this tough. That doesn't come from Scripture. The Lord will provide everything you need, but it will be found in Him. It will be found in Him. And I want us to see a connection between a time of relying and waiting and trusting as actually being the remedy for anxiety. That should mess with your mind a little. God delights to meet our needs, but in a way where we acknowledge our need and our reliance on Him. Where we, uh, we feed on His faithfulness. We enjoy safe pasture. Look at verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. There is amazing blessing here. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Uh, there is peace here, but it does not come from an absence of hardship. It doesn't come because things are just going well. That's what peace is. That is not what peace is. In fact, only a believer can understand having joy in the midst of intense sorrow. Only a believer. Look at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently before him. Um, My flesh just rebels against that. That is the last thing I want to do when I'm anxious. And you're all stirred up, but just be still and wait. Yeah, no, no. What else you got? You know, I need something. Give it to me now, you know. Well, just be still and wait patiently. And that's where Satan comes in, and he loves to say, you need to take this into your own hands, because God isn't coming through for you. And God's antidote to our anxiety is to be still, to wait, to commit your way to the Lord, to delight yourself in him. It's irony because it's, it's actually the antidote. And it's the place where I need this. It shows that you've bought into the light. I need this, I need this, but I need this, but I need this. And God's not coming through for me. He knows I need this. And if you, if you do that mantra in your head long enough, I need this becomes I deserve this. I deserve this. Now we've crossed over into entitlement, which 
totally doesn't work, as you know. Um, instead of trusting and waiting, because you can do this, God's not asking us to do things that he won't equip us to do. And he's telling us the way to do it is to wait quietly, be still. It will be hard, and you can do it. In my work at Hospice of the Valley, I worked as a grief counselor. I was working with a woman who was struggling with substance abuse. And she was in a uh, a year-and-a-half-long recovery program. And she had lost her twin boys uh, within the first year of their life because of her addiction. Because of her addiction. And she felt enormous guilt and shame, but she kept going back to her prescription pills because she said, I can't handle this. I, I, I just can't handle it, you know? And her, uh, her grief was just so raw. And over time, I gave her a writing assignment. And I asked her to write a letter to her twin boys and say whatever was in her heart to express. And she said, I, I, I can't do that. And I said, you can. You can. And you need to at least try. And she went and she came back and she... <laughs> She was so mad at me. She uh, was crying, and she said, I have never felt worse in my life. And she started to read the letter to me, and she just started sobbing. She threw the letter to the side, and, and she pointed to herself, and she said, See, this is what I told you. I can't do this. And I said, You can do this. And went and picked up the letter, uncrumpled it, and we worked through that letter little by little by little, and just teaching her, uh, you know, there are ways to handle parts of your grief that are straight from Scripture, and God will meet you in your pain, and you can do this, and this isn't bigger than you, and this won't last forever. And there are strategies, coping strategies, and all these things that we work through. And then the big thing was I just let her cry, and that lasted for five minutes, but it felt like a year if you're ever with somebody that just totally loses it, it is hard not to feel that with them. It is very difficult to sit with people who are just crying. She was wailing. At one point, she started screaming so loud that I'm looking around thinking, I wonder if the people on the second floor can hear us. Kind of an awkward, mm, just let her go. I don't want people coming in. What are you doing down here? Um, afterwards, when she was kind of... <gasps> I pointed out to her that the way that she felt now was not the way that she felt when she came in. And I just saw the light go on to her, and she said, it doesn't last forever. And I said, it doesn't last forever. And you can do this, and it will be hard. And this won't be the only time that you respond that way, but you can do this. You can do this. And what we're really trying to do with her is learn how to cope with the pain in my life instead of turning to Xanax or these somas, or these uh, Ativan, or all these pills that promise to take away my anxiety. And if you're an addict, if you struggle with a substance abuse, when life hurts, you just reach for this because it takes you out of a moment. It takes you out of a moment where you don't have to deal with whatever it is that's bothering you. And it's one of Satan's best lies. You can't handle your life. You need this. You need this. You don't need the Lord. He's not coming through for you. You need to take this into your own hands. You need to take this into your own hands. 
And I don't want us to miss the connection between not fretting, being anxious, and waiting on the Lord from verse 7. It runs so opposite of what our experience tells us will bring relief. And you know what? I'm going to go so far as to say this diagnostically, that a refusal to wait on him demonstrates that you've already believed the lie. If you just refuse to wait, nope. It demonstrates that you've already believed the lie, that God isn't coming through for you, and you need to take over, and it's an invitation for increasing waves and cycles of further impatience with God that will only take you further from him. And and who even knows how God plans to mold your faith as you wait? As you wait. And you have to wonder, what is it that Satan doesn't want me to see? What is that? Because I'm getting further away. And so we see that the first lie is for the depressed. You can't handle life. The second lie accuses that you're deprived. You're missing out. (laughs) The last thing that Satan wants is you waiting on the Lord and resting and committing and delighting yourself in him. Last thing he wants. I think all of us would admit that it's very hard to do. The unbeliever does what they want, when they want. Nothing impedes them. And here I am doing it God's way. It is so hard. It is so hard. Listen to a familiar verse. You don't need to turn there. Isaiah 40. Those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. They soar on wings like eagles. They run and are not weary. They walk and they won't be faint. Try to tell a college student that it's better to choose purity than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. See how that gets you. Um, there's a picture of my house of me on my 21st birthday. I want you to think in your mind, 21st birthday, what does that usually mean? What does that usually mean? My wife and I joke about this picture. It's, it's still kind of embarrassing on some level. Um, there is a picture of, <laughs> there's a yellow cake, just like you get at the, is this too close? Um, there's a yellow cake like you get at the, gro- at the grocery store, and it has a big two and a one on it. And all around the table are my parents and my grandparents and a friend who lived down the street. And we're all sitting there just kind of sheepishly smiling at the camera. I'm 21. And I showed it to Cindy and she said, is this you? Is this you? And I point to the guy who kind of looks like me. Yeah, that's me. That's my 21st birthday. You know, 21. And you know, in the moment, I will tell you, it felt like, just felt lame, you know, like I'm Ernie and Bert on Sesame Street and I'm celebrating my birthday. I mean, you know, we're not doing the traditional thing at all. Um, but after I get past the embarrassment of anybody else seeing that picture, when I remember that day, it is one of the sweetest memories of my, I want to say childhood, 21, but um, I remember my grandparents being there. I remember some of the things that we shared about. I remember it being one of the last times that I really felt close to them before they died. And my dad, before he died, two years later. And just what a God-sent memory that day was. And when I think on it, there's no regret. There's no guilt. There's no dread of, oh, God. If I could take back any day of my life, it would be that night. It's like if I could repeat any day of my life, That'd be on the top 10, top 25 at least. And to this scripture instructs us that instead of being envious of those who are doing wrong, that an obsession with our enemies can be remedied with a preoccupation of the Lord himself. Look with me at verse 5. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. There is a repeated theme throughout all of Scripture that the one who puts their trust in Him never be put to shame. Ever, 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 ever. This is the outcome when we fix our eyes and our attention on Him. When instead of trying on lies, we trust Him, we delight in, we commit our way to the Lord. Don't ever get caught up comparing your life with someone who doesn't even know Him, doesn't even love Him, doesn't even fear him. Life is not passing us by. Quite the contrary, verse 6, he makes your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Um, okay, now I want you to go to your child's finger and flip to Psalm 73. Uh, Psalm 73 addresses a lot of the same themes that are found in 37. If you want to remember that, just remember 73 flipped is 37, those two the way I remember it. Um, This same thing, dangers of envying the wicked, of feeling like we're missing out, that following God is done in vain. The outcome is the same. Different author, man named Asaph, David, author 37, Asaph 73. Um, Here's the conclusion that Asaph comes to. Verse 18. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. Same conclusion. Asaph says it beautifully. And as he fixes his eyes on the Lord, you can read the psalm on your own later, same kind of theme, same delighting in, same, the perspective came to me, Asaph said, when I entered your house, when I saw it from your perspective. Look at the way Asaph says this. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me into glory. And then this perspective, and I can assure you that verse 25 did not come out of a, I'm anxious, okay, now I'm going to be still. Verse 25 came out of a period of waiting, a period of trusting, a period of delighting in, a period of committing to the Lord. Here's what it looks like. Here's the flip around. Here's what you can uh, look forward to. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what it looks like. That's what you have to look forward to in that anxious moment where you feel like I just need something and God says, just wait on me. Be still. And I believe me, if you're a Christian and you, you, in your anxiety... You resign yourself to be still. You can burn calories being still. It is work. It is work. And I want you to see the big picture here. Because Satan wants you looking at unbelievers all around you. And God wants us looking at him. God wants us focused on him. Not only does Satan tell us you're depressed, you can't enter your life, you're deprived, you're missing out, life's passing you by. Finally, third lie, you are deserted. You'll be left with nothing. You keep doing things the hard way. This is not going anywhere. You're going to be left with nothing now, nothing later. This is useless. Do I need to repeat it? And if you don't see anything over time, it feels true. It does. It feels true. What does God say to this? Back to Psalm 37. 
Oh, I thought we were done. We're not done. Second part of verse 9. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. It's there twice in these three verses. Inheriting the land. It's a phrase found throughout the psalm. Who is it that inherits the land? Look at verse 9. Those who wait for the Lord... Verse 11, the meek, these are those who choose the way of patient faith instead of taking things into their own hands. That's what it looks like to be meek. Verse 22, those blessed by the Lord. And so just just to give us a contrast, a comparison, the unbeliever asserts himself and, and he takes. He takes. The believer waits, trusts, delights, commits, and the land is given to him as an inheritance. So one takes, and it is taken away, and they're destroyed, and the other one is given. And to the one that is given, it's never taken away. It's never taken away. It's a sentiment echoed by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And if we contrast that verse with verse 11 of Psalm 37, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. In verse 29 of 37, we didn't quite get there this morning, but it says, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Just a word about the land, because Christ is applying Psalm 37 in a different way. In a different way. The land will be much larger than David thought. Its fulfillment will include the entire earth and its restored and recreated beauty. Try to, try to imagine what this place would look like without any sin. We would probably lose the pothole at the end of the driveway. Probably. Um, no offense on your pothole. Uh, every time I hit it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to remember it's there next time. And I never do. Um, this earth will be the inheritance of all the meek. Those who choose the way of patient faith instead of succumbing to the temptation to take things into their own hands and to not let God do his work. And listen to the description of this restored earth. Um, you've probably heard this before, but this is what our restored earth will look like, this land in Isaiah 11. You don't need to turn there. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Just think of this picture of these ferocious beasts acting like golden retrievers, what we're seeing here. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. I didn't know what an adder was. I had to look that up. It's a really tiny, cute, venomous snake. (laughs) It becomes less cute when you... Realize how deadly they are. Verse 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth, and this is something I... Picture what this would look like. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord just as waters cover the sea. What would it look like if the culture were completely reversed? And just a, a thorough love and knowledge of the Lord just enveloped this beautiful place. What would that be like? It's promised to us. So we, we are recipients of that promise. We're included in that promise. 
which, by the way, stands in stark contrast to being left with nothing, as Satan would have us to believe. Stark contrast. You can read more about this land. Last two chapters of Revelation, it is fodder. It is food for when the lies come. And we know that they will come. We know that they'll come. Because once you buy in, oppression in countless forms follows right behind. And it's important to see this. I just want to review these lies one more time and we're done. First lie is that you're depressed. You can't handle your life. If I believe this, if I believe that I can't handle life, I'm always going to be scanning my options for anything that's just going to take the edge off. Just help me out. Because God's great when he answers in my timing, but when I have to wait, I wanted this yesterday. Maybe you didn't hear me. Okay, now I need to, Now I'm entitled to handle this myself. I see this all the time when I'm working with those who are grieving. Grief is too much. And it's too painful. And I wrestle with God too. There are some stories that I wish I could erase from my brain where I, I wrestle with God and I say, huh, that's too much for anyone to have to live with. And it's not even my story. Um, for, for many, 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 anything that takes me out of that moment is my number one go-to. Whatever it is. It might be a substance, it might be a behavior, or an obsession. Anything that just gets me gone is what I'm going to go to. God says, you can handle life, but only as you trust in me, only as you delight yourself in me, only as you commit your way to me, only as you wait patiently for me. The second lie, you're deprived, you're missing out, life's passing you by. You could be taking what you want, when you want. If I believe this, I am in danger of taking my cues about what a great life is by looking at those all around me. And the truth is, God wants me focused and preoccupied in him alone. And as we do this, he graciously conforms our desires into God-given ones that yield life and blessing. And finally, this third lie, you're deserted, you'll be left with nothing. If I believe this, I only take stock in what I can see. Instead of a meek and humble reliance on God, who promises not only safe pasture now, but a renewed and a restored earth for the rest of eternity. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is so full of promise and hope. And I pray that your spirit would remind us that when we are very close to believing the lies of our enemy, Lord, that we would run to the truth of your word and not only believe it, but embrace it, because here is life, and it is real life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.